This podcast is produced by the ABA Journal. We bring you the latest legal news every day from around the web. Visit us online at abajournal.com. To most law students and lawyers, practicing transactional law isn't an obvious path to saving the world. But as the world's economic and ecological meltdowns demand that we redesign our livelihoods, enterprises, communities, organizations, food system, housing, and even much more, transactional lawyers are needed en masse to aid in an epic reinvention of our economic system. I'm ABA Journal reporter Rachel Zahorsky, and those are the thoughts of sharing lawyer Janelle Orsi, author of Practicing Law in the Sharing Economy. Janelle joins me today to discuss her new book, Geared Towards Lawyers Who Want to Practice Sharing Law and Attract as Clients the Growing Population of Americans who want to build social cooperatives, social enterprises, and local sustainable economies. Janelle, in order to set the stage for our listeners, could you please read a passage from your book that defines what a sharing lawyer does and why we're seeing an increased demand for their services? So in the future, we might look back and gently laugh at the way we live now. The way we presently participate in consumption is by attempting to buy and own everything we need. We work long hours because we strive to own a car, own a house, and so on. But from the standpoint of wise resource use, individual ownership is not the most efficient or easiest way to meet our needs. The sharing economy presents us with a viable and necessary alternative. We can have access to many things that we need without having to own them all by ourselves. Our right to access something will derive from a variety of new relationships. We may have an agreement to borrow or share an item. We may be a member of a group of friends, a cooperative, a nonprofit, or a service that gives us access to that item. Tool lending libraries, borrowing and lending, car sharing clubs, and shared ownership will be the new norm. The sharing economy and the platforms on which it will operate can be built by individuals, groups, and local governments within communities. The creation of these platforms will be greatly facilitated by transactional lawyers with expertise in agreements, organizations, regulations, and so on. Practicing law in this new economy comes with unique challenges, which also point to the shortcomings of our legal system. Clients approach their lawyers with incredibly innovative ideas for making their communities better. It is the lawyer's job to help them navigate the laws to improve their chances for success and sustainability. But the process can be baffling to an attorney. The relationships, transactions, and organizations of the new economy are sometimes so unique that they cannot be classified within the existing legal frameworks. At the core of it is the fact that our laws were designed to regulate relationships in a competitive economy, not a collaborative economy. Our legal system has not foreseen the trend toward a more sharing economy. Janelle, when we first spoke two years ago when we profiled you as one of the ABA Journal's legal rebels, you told me that people told you that it's crazy because you won't make any money or that it's crazy because you don't think other people will want to share when you told them about your idea for this new type of practice area. Can you give us an update on what's happened in the last two years? I know this is your second book. You've got a nonprofit on the way. <laughs> no, it definitely doesn't feel like I've done anything crazy. And and it's really ever since I wrote my first book, The Sharing Solution, and since I founded or co-founded the Sustainable Economies Law Center, a few years ago, there's just been a huge wave of interest in this work. And I think everybody's coming to the recognition that we have to do something different in society. We can't keep consuming as much as we do for environmental reasons, for economic reasons. And 
and also for happiness reasons. People are just yearning for a more connected community and connected economy. And so there's just people coming out of the woodwork all over the country who are starting things like cooperatives and tool lending libraries and car sharing clubs. And and they're all sort of coming out of the woodwork and, and learning about my work. And, and so it means that I've gotten quite a bit of attention, quite a bit of business, and um, and it's just wonderful to see this this transformation happening in society. And now this is your second book. How, what does this book expand upon, or can you explain a little bit more from your first book as it gives lawyers a guide uh, not only on how to mold their practices in this fashion, but talks a lot about the changing economy in the U.S. and, and how lawyers can really capitalize on that in order to build these types of practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the first book was really written for lay people, and it was a NOLO press book, and it's called The Sharing Solution. And I I wrote it because I thought, oh, this was back in 2009, or I think I even started writing it in 2008. Um, I just thought that people don't really have a vision for a sharing economy yet. They, the idea of sharing a car or sharing a house or, or borrowing and lending goods just doesn't occur to people that often when they're trying to think of ways to cut their costs or cut their consumption. So really that was a practical guide for lay people on how to do it, and plus it included a lot of legal agreements like a sample car sharing agreement. But this new book, Practicing Law in the Sharing Economy, which is the American Bar Association published book, is really written primarily, primarily with lawyers in mind, although I do know a lot of lay people have read it, and one of them said this is not just a legal guide. It's really a vision for a new economy. And, and, and I really am trying to, first of all, help paint a, a very thorough picture of how can we completely change the economy. What are Not only how are we going to be consuming um, you know, sharing things instead of buying things, but also how are we going to make our livelihoods? What does our work look like? What does our home ownership and land ownership look like? Uh, How do we invest our money? That kind of thing. So trying to give a a very full picture of what it looks like and then give guidance to lawyers on, well, how do you form an entity uh, to serve as a platform for this type of activity? What regulations are going to come up and how do you navigate them? How How does employment law apply, how do securities laws apply, and so on. And I never expected that that becoming a lawyer who focuses on the sharing economy, I never expected that that would require that I learn about so many areas of law, but I just as I went along, I had to learn so much. And then this book is really, in many ways, and it's a, an abridged version of my brain of all the information I've accumulated over the last five years about, about sort of the legal implications of a sharing economy. And are you finding that most of the ideas, things that you speak about in the book, are you promoting those to your clients or clients seeking you out saying, this is what we want to do, help us do it? I'm just thinking of a solo attorney who says, yes, I love this idea. Now do they have to wait until clients start to come to them or are they coming up with their own ways to do agreements? And how does a lawyer wrap their head around an issue that you said, you mentioned in the book, you talk about laws that don't foresee collaborative relationships. And if you're already practicing in a certain vein, you, you mentioned employer-employee, landlord-tenant, developer and home buyers. If you're already practicing in that arena in a more traditional mindset, how do you get your mindset to where you need to be, your practice to where you need to be so that you're engaging the right clients who want to pursue new types of agreements and arrangements? Yeah. So I guess there's kind of two parts to that question. And the first one is just sort of where are the clients 
coming from. And when I started my law practice five years ago, I knew that in many ways I would have to create the clients in the sense of going out and speaking about sharing and trying to inspire people toward a sharing economy um, to just generally build the, create the kind of world that I want to live in. And then people would sort of catch on and get inspired. And, that, and then a lot of my clients might come from that. I think we, we, we have to actively create this new economy. It's not just going to happen on its own. But that said, five years later, there's so much happening in the world of the sharing economy now. There's just, there's so many things happening all over the country. Even it's not just in Berkeley and San Francisco anymore. It's not I was just going to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah can you give us an idea on a national scale what, what you're seeing? <laughs> well, I went to Nashville, Tennessee, and gave a talk at Vanderbilt University back in February. And when I was there, I met a lot of people who from the community who showed up for my talk. And they were involved in creating housing cooperatives and urban farms and worker cooperatives and and just so many things that are the that's the exact vision of what I would hope was coming out of the sharing economy. And, and that was Nashville. And then I went on to Orlando and gave a talk there and also in Asheville. And just everywhere I went, there were people who were already doing this work in those communities. And, and so it dispels the myth that this is sort of a, a, a leftist or hippie trend. I think it's just anybody who needs to find a more creative way to get their needs met is sort of looking around at what the resources are in their community and realizing that there are tons of resources if only we could share them and cooperate and manage them more wisely. And so I think that a lawyer who sets up a practice anywhere else in the country is going to have to do some of the work of building awareness in the community of what their law practice is and, and what the vision is for the sharing economy. I think you do have to do that work a little bit and, and to just become part of the local sharing movement. But clients will definitely come. And, and the reason I know that is because I get prospective clients from all over the country who I can't serve, really. I try not to take any clients outside of California. And so then I, I look for lawyers in those other states to help them, and, and there aren't lawyers yet in many states. And so I know that the business is out there because right now it's coming to me, and I think – any other lawyer who sets up a practice is going to be pretty pleased at, at what comes out of the woodwork. And then, But as for training oneself to become a lawyer in the sharing economy, reading my book I think is going to be really helpful because what I've done is sort of grappled with a lot of the legal gray areas that come up. And I think what lawyers are going to find is that the clients are going to come to them and say, well, I want to do this. I want to create, for example, a grocery cooperative, and it's going to be owned by all the people who shop there. We're basically just going to get a warehouse. We're going to purchase food in bulk from a variety of different farmers and food producers and then divvy it up amongst ourselves at cost. And this kind of activity sits in so many legal gray areas. I guess one of them is, is it even a grocery store? If you put a where, if you set up a warehouse and people are exchanging food in it, is that a food facility that's subject to all the health and safety laws? Is it a unemployment relationship when each of the members Members goes and volunteers two or three hours a month, kind of fulfilling orders or stocking shelves and that kind of thing. And then there's also the question of what type of entity should it be? And um, is it a mutual benefit nonprofit? Is it a cooperative corporation? And a lot of times you look at the entity choices that are out there and none of them fit perfectly. And same goes for the tax categories that it might select. And also securities law comes up if each member is investing, say, $500 each in this cooperative. Is that a security? How do you register that security or what exemptions might there be? And because this activity is, it's sort of like a group of people just buying groceries together. 
on one hand, but on the other hand, it sort of is like a grocery store. And so it's going to be in so many legal gray areas that I just mentioned. And, and what I do with the book is give lawyers guidance on how you can navigate those gray areas and how you can get your client to reshape their activity a little bit so that it fits more squarely into a, a recognized legal category. Do you think people are realistic with their expectations when they come to you and say, we'd like to make an agreement for car sharing? Or actually, one of the items on your website that caught my attention was how to stop foreclosures through home sharing. And I would mm-hmm. imagine that a family desperate to keep their home at this time looking for any alternative if possible comes across this. Do you think clients have reasonable expectations to what sharing means, or do you think that maybe they, all the way on the other end of the spectrum, think of all of the negatives first, I don't know about how this is going to work, and ownership, that they don't realize that with the proper legal instruments and tools that this can be a very viable solution? Yeah. You know, I think people do tend to be quite cautious when it comes to sharing, only because as a society we haven't been used to it for a long time. We've gotten in the habit of trying to do everything by ourselves, own our own home, own our own car. And we live in a very litigious society, so people are very worried about liability. And they're also worried about getting themselves stuck in a financial situation they can't get out of. So I think they're more cautious than idealistic. I will say that a lot of times people come to me with a very idealistic vision, which would work in every respect except for the the legal respect. There are some activities that just are purely not going to work for legal reasons. And, and usually it's because of employment law. I would say employment law tends to be the biggest barrier. So like the example of the grocery co-op where members are going to be volunteering their time for the grocery co-op. It's really hard to get around employment laws in that situation, even though people don't want to be treated as employees when they volunteer for their own cooperative. So I have to break people's hearts every now and then and just say, well, what you want to do is really illegal, and it would be very hard to change it and make it legal. But what I do with people quite a bit is I, I think that a lot of times people will come up with a sharing plan, and you brought up shared housing. So if a if two households or two families got together and they wanted to co-own a house, there will probably be – actually, I have a questionnaire that I give clients in that situation, and it has 58 questions on it. Or It actually has more like 100. There's sort of 58 categories of questions, and then each one has maybe one or two questions underneath it. And they always say – they always look at the questionnaire and just say, wow, there is so much to think about because there, there really are so many things – that could happen throughout the relationship of a co-ownership arrangement. It really, the agreement that they want to make with each other is going to be the roadmap to the relationship, and it maps out so many possible twists and turns, like if there's a divorce, if there's a bankruptcy, if one person wants to sell and the other doesn't, if both want to sell um, but it's not a good time, you know, things like that. Um, it sort of maps out all these contingencies and, and what's the default going to be if they can't come up with an, with an agreement otherwise. But I think when people do go through this, this questionnaire and do think through all these things, they feel quite relaxed going into the relationship because they have certainty. Even, even though they, there's uncertainty about what will actually happen, they have a level of certainty about how they'll deal with it. Janelle, you give a lot of examples in your book. You bring up a lot of specific issues, things to consider within the practice, all of the different types of problems clients might come to you with, I and mean, even just educating on all of the possibilities in a sharing-type economy. Because we don't have a lot of time, I wanted to make sure that we also spoke about, in addition to this, your second book, The Nonprofit 
that you formed. If you could tell us a little bit more about that and where that's headed. I know you said you've already got people on staff. You've got offers out to some more. You're going to be expanding. Maybe, again, you can let us know what's going on with that because I think it just gives even more credence to that, that there is a need out there. Clients are seeking this type of advice. So I co-founded the Sustainable Economies Law Center with an attorney named Jenny Casson, who's in Oakland, and her primary focus has been social enterprise and then community investment, local investing. And so both of us work in legal areas that are somewhat outside of the norm, and we came together because we realized that our clients just have so many legal questions and issues that really push the boundaries of traditional legal categories, and it would be great to do a lot of research and education around these things. And so we formed the nonprofit, and until recently, the Sustainable Economies Law Center, or SELC for short, has really just been uh, an education, research, and advocacy organization. And it has grown, I think in the first year, 2010 was our first full year. I think our budget was just $7,000. The next year, it was up to thirty. In 2012, it's going to be close to 100, and then next year we're aiming for 400. So we've grown really fast. Almost and how have, you, um, how have you, how have you uh, funded this nonprofit? It's been mostly through individual donations, and then starting last year we began to get some small grants, which has brought our budget up a little bit. And then this year we have finally gotten some large grants of 50000 or more. So, so that's what I think – Foundations have started to take a real interest in what they call the new economy or the sharing economy, and they're making this a funding priority. And then when a lot of them have sort of gotten the Sustainable Economies Law Center on their radar and, and actually approached us about giving us funding. So it's a, it's a good sign that there's a lot of interest. In the, and we're going to add a program in the new year that's going to be uh, to provide actual legal services, because until now we've mainly been doing a lot of research, doing a lot of writing. Uh, we've engaged in a few advocacy projects, and one of them is the California Homemade Food Act, which is a cottage food law that allows people to sell certain foods they cook at home in California. So so doing things like that, advocating for laws that allow for a more well-rounded economy, uh, small-scale economic activity, and that kind of thing. Um, given, the, given the fact that you're starting to get these grants that organizations who give funding are starting to take notice and to make this type of work a priority, you had said before that you know, this isn't just a Berkeley movement. I think sometimes people tend to get in their minds that, oh, this is just a trend or this is something, if you are very leftist, that you do. But can you maybe give us an idea of what the future is going to look like and whether or not you think a sharing economy is going to play a larger role rather than just a fringe for people who, you know, truly see a benefit or for other reasons, altruistic, pursue this type of a lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's absolutely going to have to become the norm of how we do everything, and, and the reason is that our ice caps are melting so fast. And I mean, I just think about children who are being who are born today. I mean, the sea level is probably going to rise three feet by the time they die, and we're just we're going to be living in a very different world. And we have to we have to change our consumption so fast, and we also just need to to change the economy really fast because there's a lot of people recognized wealth keeps accumulating with people who already have it and you know people have taken to the streets and the occupy movement and recognized the one per- the existence of the one percent but if we don't change the way that we meet our needs and the way that we work in society if, if we keep working for the same companies and buying from the same companies and investing in the same companies it's just going to continue to cause wealth flow in that same direction and so people recognize we, we have to change or things things are really going to just crumble to pieces and so we can do it now while things are still relatively stable and I think a lot of people who see the future clearly enough are willing to start changing things now but I think we can also change in the in the face of a crisis 
Um, and I think either either way, it's going to come about, and, it, and it's going to have to involve sharing or people will literally not be able to meet their needs. And I can visualize a, a society in which in every neighborhood there is car sharing happening, where there are grocery cooperatives, where there are urban farms, where there are uh, child care cooperatives and housing cooperatives and tool lending libraries and and networks for people to barter with each other. And I think that if we all live in communities that were just full of these kinds of organizations and projects, um, that we would feel so much more secure that in the future, no matter what happens, that we're going to be able to meet our needs. Thank you, Janelle, for joining us today to discuss your new book, Practicing Law in the Sharing Economy. We invite our listeners to comment on this and other podcasts on abajournal.com. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free to the ABA Journal podcast on iTunes.